Hello, and welcome to the Classicist Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, here, as always, with Victor Davis Hanson, the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. And Victor, we turn to foreign policy today and specifically the topic of deterrence. And most of our listeners may feel like they have an intuitive grasp of what that word means, but why don't we just start with the basics? You cite in a recent piece that you wrote on this the famous quote that deterrence means that men are not hanged for stealing horses but that horses may not be stolen. So explain the principle at work there. Well, even though some uh, act, some preemptory act to stop somebody from doing something can be argued that it wasn't worth the effort in a cost-benefit analysis, it's not so true if it sets a precedent. So it might not have been a good idea for all of Europe to be torn apart over the survival of little Czechoslovakia, but had they been willing to do that in the short term, then there might have been a preventable uh, greater conflict. So deterrence is basically making somebody not do something that you don't want them to do without having to use physical force. And it's in part, of course, quantifiable material strength, but it's also uh, the the uh, likelihood that a person is capable and willing to use that force. If you have a lot of force but people know you won't use it, that's not deterrence. And if you're all talk with no action, if you talk very loudly with a small stick, then it's not deterrence either. So it has to be sort of a large reservoir of power and signals that suggest either through the past or the present that you're likely to use it if, if pushed to the, push to that. And, and to that point, the off-the-shelf thought that a lot of people have is uh, sort of the reductionist one that, that you just addressed there, that, okay, you just – you build up your forces. I've got more troops than you. I've got more hardware than you. But to the point you just made, what are some historical examples of where we've seen the imbalance play out, where either you had a power that maybe didn't have the resources but had the, had the will, had the cunning, and on the other side, ones that did have the capabilities but didn't have the will to see it through? I'll give you two examples, One, uh, three examples. By any token, the Italian Navy was a fraction of the power of the British Navy in the late 30s, 36, 37, but it was willing to risk brinkmanship. So when it went into Abyssinia in modern Ethiopia, the British could have just stopped them from even getting there by closing the Suez Canal, and yet they were afraid of a battleship confrontation in, in the Mediterranean given Mussolini's crazy talk. Same thing uh, in the Clinton administration with North Korea. We basically uh, eased up on our red lines and then actually gave them aid, bribe money, so to speak, so they wouldn't uh, pursue proliferation because we were just – we were thinking that even though they were a weak power, they were crazier than we were. And we can see it again in the case of uh, – Al-Qaeda and its its successors with ISIS in Iraq because, I mean, by any token, we had over 30,000 troops in 2011 that could have crushed ISIS in a minute. But ISIS, uh, the force multiplier for ISIS was its beheadings, its uh, human uh, barbaric, savage way of killing people, whether through inferno or drowning. They almost exhausted our imagination of how to kill people, innocent people. And so that, for them, made people in the West think, these people are so crazy, let's just keep, keep clear of them, even though we had enough power to wipe them out. 
Hitler, when he went into Poland, he had a Mark I tank, and it wasn't really a tank, it was a tankette. Two machine guns, mm -hmm. no main cannon. Even the, the new Mark II only had a 37 millimeter, and that was a modern gun. It used to have a 20 millimeters. But he was willing to use them. And he uh, said that he was willing to use them and lose thousands of people to kill Poles or French or Belgians or Dutch, and people in the democracies were not willing to do that. So a, a country that had no heavy bomber, no, uh, no good intelligence, uh, its fighter aircraft were no better than Britain, had awed the world by its maniacal uh, willingness to use force. You noted in the piece that you wrote on this topic for National Review, I'm quoting you here, President Reagan's efforts from 1981 to 1984 to restore loss deterrence were caricatured as brinksmanship given that deterrence is easily thrown away but often difficult and potentially risky to restore, close quote. OK, I'm going to ask you a question in the abstract that I'm sure can really only be answered in reference to specific situations. But for our listeners – where do you draw the lines there? What are the key variables in distinguishing between what is deterrence and what is brinksmanship? Well, deterrence is a state of mind. It's a it's the preference for graduality rather than precipitousness. So if you're walking down the street and somebody confronts you and he bullies you and then you push back a little bit, there's there's some likelihood that he will respect you or He'll think that uh, it's not so easy and he'll go on to the next person. But if he keeps pushing you and pushing you and pushing you and you just take it, take it, take it, then there's a likelihood that you're either going to suffer or your loved one's going to suffer or the reaction will have to be disproportionate. You'll have to club him over the head to stop. So disproportionality is always the wages of appeasement. And that means that if you're not proactive, then it becomes insidious and incremental. And what I was getting at in the passage you quoted is the next president, whoever it is, Democrat or Republican, is going to have to restore deterrence. And people in the world that mean us no good are going to be surprised that we're willing suddenly after eight years to do something about an aggression or an incitement. And, and we're going to have to do something to restore this this sense again that it's it's not a wise thing to pick on the United States, but I'm I'm very worried because I think 2016 we're we're going to get everybody out of the woodwork for two reasons. One, they think that there's one more year of the Obama administration, and so they can might as well cash in their winnings and see what they can get. And then two, the next president, as I said, will have to restore deterrence, and that will require some use of force. I'm afraid. Dissect President Obama on this topic for me. You say in your piece that he's essentially lost his ability to deter. I'm assuming that holding all other things constant, you would think that any incoming American president as they're taking office has a fair amount of deterrence power just because of the tremendous amount of resources available to them. H how did he blow that? He did it in a lot of ways, uh, both concrete and symbolic iconic. The first thing he did, of course, was he talked too much and too loudly. He gave five deadlines to Iran to stop proliferating between 2002 and 2000, uh, excuse me, between 2009 and 2015. All of those deadlines were ignored by the Iranians. He gave a red line to Syria that they ignored. He gave a step over line to Putin in Ukraine that he ignored. So people got the impression 
that when he said something, it had no currency. And then we're down to probably on the Obama timetable, we're probably going to be less than 3% of GDP spent on defense. And although we had a huge lead over people, it's not so much the lead, the actual material uh, pool that you have vis-a-vis a rival, it's the rate of uh, growth or decrease. So the British Navy in 1939 was still the largest navy in the world, but what people looked at was the American and Japanese Navy were building ships at a greater degree and more modern and more expensive. So the, people were convinced that the day of the British Navy was over, even though it really wasn't. So people are looking at the United States and they keep saying China's doing this, and Iran's doing this, and Russia's doing this. And that, that's very dangerous. Um, the appearance of weakness, even if we're not weak, is, is weak. And then uh, is weakness. And then the third is that uh, he did the worst of both worlds by talking loudly and carrying a s- small stick. And by that I mean he kind of insulted Putin. He said that he was into macho shtick, or he was like the person, the kid in the back of the classroom that cut up. And he he gratuitously he may have said ISIS was JV. So when you gratuitously make fun of an enemy, and then they feel that you're weak, then you up the ante even more for someone to get angry in an emotional sense and do something they otherwise would not in a rational sense. So I can't think of anything that Obama's done according to the classical laws of deterrence that would be in our interest. I'm not saying he did this deliberately because he didn't like the global profile of the United States. I just think that he was naive and he was sort of narcissistic that his powers of persuasion and rhetoric, as a rhetorician, he thought that uh, he could achieve certain goals by talking or, or promoting an image without Neanderthal force or, or being quiet and then using force when, when provoked. Well, on, on that note, we've been talking here largely in concrete terms, but you note in your piece something that you suggested a moment ago. You say there that symbolism is integral to deterrence. H- how is symbolism important? Well, symbolism is the idea that uh, you're mystic or cryptic or you're, you're, you don't know what they're going to do. So if you always explain something to death or you make fun of somebody and something doesn't follow or you become psychodramatic like the president says, I don't bluff, uh, then you be, whether you like it or not, you start to fit a predictable mode. And what do I mean in the case of the United States? People understand that if we are angry and we say this won't work today, we said this is unacceptable what North Korea did. We shouldn't say that. If, if it is unacceptable, what are you going to do about it? Same thing with Libya. Um, Qaddafi, uh, when we bombed Qaddafi, then what? We didn't go in. We didn't change the situation. We said Assad must go. And what I'm getting at is that over the last eight years, we've created a pattern so that both friends and rivals look at the United States and they say, if there's an international terrorist incident, if a sovereign nation crosses the borders of another one, it's pretty likely that the United States uh, in its incarnation as its president, it will threaten, it will deplore, it will appeal to the better angels of our nature or the arc of history, something like that, and it will threaten and then it won't do anything. And that's going to encourage more and more people as this year wears on and Obama uh, will soon be out of office to, as I said, get what you can while, you'll, while you can. Victor, could you give us a 
quick world tour here through this prism. When we consider America's enemies or rivals, who's deterrable and who isn't? Well, we have a, a, a red line, so to speak, and that's everybody with a nuclear weapon and who's poorer right. than we are because madness is a, uh, is, is a wise thing in nuclear poker. So people like Paca the Pakistanis, the North Koreans, maybe soon the Iranians, uh, it's very hard to deter them now because, A, they have nuclear weapons, and, B, they keep claiming that they're willing to lose a lot of people because the subtext is that life's not very good in North Korea. Nobody has an iPhone or a BMW or goes out to eat twice a week, three times a week. So that's something that – that's sort of the horse has been let out of the barn. You have to be very careful with powers that have nuclear weapons because if a president were to say, well, we can wipe out North Korea and if you hit San Diego, you hit San Diego. Big deal. It's only going to be 50 kilotons. That's an unacceptable Dr. Strange-Lovian um, analogy and we won't do that. And they know that. And so that that's dangerous. But among rivals, uh, what we need to do to deter particular people is to go back in history. What deterred Brezhnev and then um, Gorbachev in the Soviet Union was Star Wars, even though it might not have been practical. It raised the specter that Western technology would be used to create a new defense system that would nullify a first-rate strike capability in the way that the Soviets did not have a reciprocal uh, deterrent in that fashion. So what we really need to do now is really step on the gas when it comes to anti-ballistic missile defense, uh, short and long term. And uh, we need to, I mean, it seems ridiculous that people actually count nuclear warheads. But when we say we want to build down to 500 and Japan and North and South Korea and Taiwan and the Philippines and Australia and all these countries saying, hmm, how many of those are devoted to our defense? They do count nuclear weapons. And people like the Chinese or the North Koreans or the, Soviet, uh, the former Soviets, the Russians, they don't have clients that could go nuclear but choose not to because of our umbrella. So we have to be very careful. And I would expand our offensive capability. I would really up our defensive capability. And then I would try to ostracize these rogue nations that have nuclear weapons in a way that doesn't sort of make fun of them. I wouldn't say to any of them their class cut-ups or, you know, their JVs. I wouldn't do that unless I was serious about right. getting rid of them. All right. That's all the time that we have for this week's episode. Join us again next week for the next installment of the Classicist Podcast. And in the meantime, you can stop by hoover.org where you can read all of Professor Hansen's commentary. We'll see you back here soon. For Victor Davis Hansen and the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.